Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the John's URLs podcast, without which life would be incomplete and have little or no meaning. I, of course, am professional podcaster, who else but Tommy else? And with me, as always, is my uh, compatriot, uh, my wingman, my man-at-arms, Coming to us from Skokie, Illinois, the man on the beat from johngsbeat.com, Mr. Jonathan Cartucci Robleski. Cartucci, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Wrong again. Nice try, though. WPW or JPW. JPW, Jonathan Parducci, Rob Lusky. No. Uh, keep trying, though. 0 for 59. My uh, my uh, psych, my high school psych teacher was named Mr. Parducci, and he was very Italian. I believe there was a uh, corner store by my grandmother's house when I was a, a youth um, that was called Parducci's. Well, that might have been. days when you had corner stores. It might have been a family business you were unaware of. Oh, I'm sure. Being a being a you know, you know, maybe like it was your mother's maiden name Parducci. Maybe that's why they made that your middle name. No, my mother's maiden name was uh Di Filippo. Son oh. of So would I be wrong in saying that your middle name could be Jonathan Di Filippo Robleski? You'd be wrong. It could be, but it's not. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so I'm sure the didn't, listeners didn't, are fascinated by the tales of my missing. Get your middle name right this time. Yeah. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm excited tonight for our guest. Um, it's always good to have a, a, a. It's always good to have a guest. I love talking to you, but I love talking to others more. See, now you're breaking one of the podcast rules. We're supposed to keep this evergreen, so people don't know whether it's like daytime, nighttime, you know, whatever. Now well, I the know fact if, that you got your window there with the sun shining bright. I was just about to say, I know that if you're watching this, you can see that the daylight is clearly blaring into my room here. However, however, could be somebody listening to this in the wee hours of the night, you know, and they, they might think that, you know, we're having a quiet evening discussion with somebody or they or maybe they're driving to work and they'd like to think that this is happening in the morning either way it doesn't matter tell everybody who our guest is today well i actually met our, our guest is lauren trout of the patch news site i actually met lauren probably 10 years ago i don't even know if she'd remember she was working a fest um representing the patch, patch and I'll tell you, first, was, was it patch fest it was not Patch Fest. It was a, oh. it was a community. I, I'm not even sure which community it was. PatchCon. No. But I will say this. Anybody, especially from a newspaper or a website like that, that works a fest, I immediately have respect for because when I worked for learning newspapers for way too many years, I was in charge of marketing as well as any other thing because there was I wore a lot of hats because it was a small and very cheap company. Um, and I worked way too many fests, giving out newspapers and trying to get subscribers and all that. 
meaning the the uh, readers. So, um, you know, I immediately uh, had a, a, an instant respect for her. But I, since then, I followed her online. She's uh, had various jobs with the patch. And the thing that really uh, appeals to me is she has such a deep passion for journalism, real meaty journalism. And uh, I think that's missing in a lot of people today. And I think Lauren gives journalism a good name. Well, that's good. Do you still do you have like do you still have all those hats? Do you have like a big hat rack or something in, in your in your closet or something like that? No, but you know what? My from, dad from, probably from has learn. my old learner hats because he doesn't throw anything out. He's got a t-shirt <laughs> that I gave him. I swear to God, the one of the last times I was at, at his house, he had a, a learner t-shirt that I gave him in 1988. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you got your you got your your shirt's worth out of it, you know. That's good. Well, all right. Well, with all of that, why don't we get to our guest and introduce the lovely Miss Lauren Trout. For the John GRL's podcast, welcome into our studios, a journalist I really admire, Lauren Trout. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're, We're good. doing great. We're, so you got to gotta... talk journalism. You got a patch. You got a patch glass there. I sure do. <laughs> now, now, did you did you pick that out because you knew you were coming on the show, or does that is that a regular glass anyway? That's a pretty regular glass. It's either that or a patch coffee mug. So, <laughs> oh, so you're just you're just living off the swag, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's lasted a long time. These glasses are about twelve years old. So, yeah. <laughs> when when did you uh, get interested in journalism? Um, I think, you know, from a young age, I always liked writing. Um, and I was always a really curious kid. Um, and then when I was in high school, I worked very briefly for, I went to Mother Macaulay in Chicago. Um, and I worked very briefly for the high school newspaper, um, and kind of started to enjoy that and then really got into it in college. Um, I went to U of I in Champaign and, you know, my first day on campus, I went straight to the news, the newsroom and said, I want to write. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so from then on, it's been, I got bit by the bug. So, um, it's, it's grabbed hold of me. <laughs> now I know you, you, you've been with the patch a long time. Was that your first real journalism job outside of college? It was not. Um, so my first job out of college was with a company that is now defunct called 22nd century media. Um, and they were a, a chain of, at first, South Suburban newspapers started by the former politician, Jack Ryan. Um, and so I actually ran the Frankfurt newspaper for three years. And so it was a weekly oh, wow. that went out via U.S. Postal Service um, mm -hmm. you know, every Thursday. So that was my first job. And it was a doozy of one. Um, I, I was pretty much a one woman show there. I was taking the photos, writing the stories, doing everything but laying out the pages. So wow. um, yeah, learned learned real quick, learned on my feet. <laughs> well, that's, you know, sometimes the old trial by fire is is the way to do it though. You know, you're mm -hmm. just gonna get tossed into the, into the action and then you learn how to swim, you know? Yep, yep, for well, sure. Was it a hard transition then to go from print to the patch, which is obviously uh, internet based. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it was hard. It was definitely a change of pace. Um, you know, going from a weekly where 
you know, we, at the time, I know they evolved, you know, over, after I left, but at the time we really had no way to even break news or, you know, there was no urgency to what we were doing. It was pretty much as long as everything made it to the, the, the printer on time for our weekly deadline, we were fine. Um, but there was really no, really no way to engage with people. Um, you know, we didn't have social media. We had no newsletters. We had nothing that was really impactful as far as um, engagement and analytics where we could see what, what people were reading and what they were connecting with. Um, so coming to Patch, you know, one of the most amazing things when I started, you know, I started at the Oak Forest Patch site, which did not exist before I came to Patch, um, being able to see how many people were on the site at any given moment and seeing what, how many people were reading each article and actually being able to keep track of those analytics was a huge, you know, it was very refreshing. It was a, a breath of fresh air after so long of not knowing who was reading my stuff and wondering if people right. were lining their, lining their bird cages with my, <laughs> my newspaper. Um, yeah. No, I'm so, sure. I'm sure it was motivating because you knew, like you said, you knew people were, and you, and it was probably interesting to see, you know, what the demographics were and where they're from and the ages and you know, and, and just you know all that, you know, who who it was. But yeah, it's nice. It is nice knowing somehow that you know people are seeing your work. So one of the things I really admire about you, though, is your your passion. I followed you. Um, even though I live on the north side, I have south side roots. My sister lives out in Tinley. We, you know, I, I follow your stuff online. Um, does does being that passionate does, does that sometimes um, like cause you headaches in terms of covering some stories that you just get too emotional about? Um, I think. It's definitely hard to turn it off. Um, you know, I think I'm probably more impacted by some stories more than other, you know, more than other people might be. Um, I obviously care about my towns um, and I care about the people in them. So when tragedy happens, um, you sure. know, there's a lot of tears that are shed. And I think people sometimes assume that journalists are kind of cold hearted and, um, you know, detached because we do a, a not so a not so easy job um, and we have to do it efficiently. And sometimes we have to share grisly or terrible details about something and people think mm -hmm. that doesn't get to us. Um, and there's yeah. been a lot of times of crying in my car, um, updating a, a breaking news story, you know, from the scene. Um, so, and as far, you know, overall with the job, um, it's hard not to, you know, if I see a story pop up on the weekend, it's hard not to jump online and want to do it right then in the moment. But right. if I work seven days a week, I'm going to get real resentful. Really <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> you're, <laughs> yeah. Journalists aren't, aren't robots, you know, I mean, you, you're, you're real people who this, this information has to filter through emotionally, and then you have to find a way to deliver that, you know, that information um respectfully but also with the accurate details and 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 of everything and that i'm sure is not always the the easiest thing to do because the details are not often pleasant but that actually that brings up another point oh go ahead go ahead no i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> no i was gonna say that brings up another point um in terms of like you know you're a real journalist you know, I followed you for a long time. I read the patch. I know you're a journalist, but you know, there's people out there that call themselves journalists and they're interested in just getting news or getting, you know, whatever story is out there immediately. 
and the facts could be damned at times, as long as I get it out there first. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I think there are a lot of people who, and I think, you know, social media comes into play in, in a big way with that type of concept where everyone wants to be the person with the information. Everyone wants to be the person with the scoop and it goes down to even residents, you know, sharing, you know, they heard police talking about something on their block and they posted it on Facebook and then it spirals and people, it turns into something that it's not. Um, but I do think there are people who, you know, they get some gratification out of thinking that they're spreading the word about something and they don't do their homework and they don't do their legwork. And then it does jeopardize our reputations. Um, and then it makes us, makes us have to work 10 times harder to gain the trust of local officials and police chiefs and fire chiefs. And I'm lucky that most of my mayors and all, you know, my, my local officials know that I want to do right by the, the mm -hmm. communities doesn't mean our we're always going to be on the same page with what is newsworthy and I think they understand that and sometimes I'm going to have to write about something that you know ruffles their feathers and it's unfortunate but it's got to be done um but to your original point I think there are a lot of people who kind of become keyboard commandos and you know you know make makeshift journalists and I wish they'd stop but I think <laughs> there's that nature to people nowadays that they want information immediately and they want, you know, that gratification immediately. And as long as there are people who are seeking it in that way, there are going to be the people who, you know, fire away at a keyboard and don't do their homework and get things wrong, unfortunately. Equally, they... equally so though. And I think this is where it's important that, you know, you're doing what you're doing though, is for the people who do want to get past the clickbait and actually get to a real story, a real piece of information. That's where it's important that people like you are still out there doing it so that we don't just completely lose ourselves to the, you know, the five second headline and that's it, you know, like right. it's so it's good that, you know, that you're out there doing it. Well, thank you. You're I think so. You're really out there. You're, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're always at, um, and I, I'm not just socially. I mean, you're out there, like in the communities, at the at the restaurants, at the you know the pubs or wherever, willing to meet your 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 readers, your community. That's yeah. got to feel good for them to know that you're out there in the bushes, you know, covering everything. I hope so. I mean, I really make an effort to make myself accessible. And that's been something I've always done at Patch. I mean, I've been here almost 13 years. And from the beginning, I always made it a point to be very, you know, visible and um, reachable. And I wanted people to feel like, you know, I was an advocate for them when I when they needed me. Um, and that I was, you know, in the trenches for them as well, when they need information, or they need facts. Um, and I think I think Patch accomplishes that quite well in many of our communities in a in a way that's different than any other news coverage or any other media. I think it is important because, yeah, when people know that you, you know, you're not just sitting at a keyboard typing about their town, you know their town. You've walked up that street. You've been to that place. You you've talked to people out there before. You might have friends in that area or whatever the case is. You know, it's like you you know, it's, it's real, you've been there, you're experiencing it, you're not talking about some place 
that you don't, you know, that you've only read up on or have heard through other people about, you know, and that gives you legitimacy. And I think that therein is where people will find um, comfort and um, trust in your um, in your reporting. I hope so. I, that's what I'm going for. So I sure hope so. <laughs> Not to change the subject, but slightly switch gear. Well, actually, it is changing the subject. You are changing um, the subject. I am changing the subject. Yeah. Uh, you you have a passion for horses, I know. I do. Could you tell tell us a little bit about that? Like where it started? And I know you ride horses, but forgive me, I don't exactly know what you do with in those competitions. Sure. Um, so I've I loved horses since I was a kid, and luckily my mom shares the passion with me. And so she always facilitated it for me from the time I was, you know, in fifth grade, I was dropped off at summer camp at a barn and dropped off at 630 in the morning with a bag lunch and picked up at six o'clock at night and spent all day cleaning stalls and brushing horses and doing horse crafts and watching horse movies and taking lessons. And <laughs> it was a really wonderful way to immerse myself in it. Um, and, you know, I just, it stuck with me. It was a passion that really kind of lit me up and you know gave me a something to commit to as a kid and kept me out of trouble in high school and mm -hmm. um my mom again also shares it with me so we have we've had horses since i was about 12 years old um and so now we have we currently have three horses um and i compete so i travel around the midwest um in the summers mostly and i do something called three-day eventing which is um, the easiest way to sum it up is it's a triathlon for, for equestrians. Um, there's three phases to it. There's dressage, which I'm sure people have heard mocked. It's the dancing horses where they mm -hmm. kind of prance and do fancy figures and all that. Um, and then there's cross country jumping, which is jumping over natural obstacles like banks and ditches and in and out of water and um over stone walls and it's timed so you have to go fast but not too fast um and then sure. the third the third phase is show jumping which is a little bit like well it's not a little bit it's probably what you see on tv with the more traditional poles that you can knock down yeah. um so it's scored cumulatively um you want to do really well in the dressage phase and dressage is a memorized test of movements that you do when you go in a ring that has letters around the outside, you do specific movements at specific points. You're being judged by one judge the entire time and they're scoring each movement. So you wanna do each, each movement really well on a scale of one to 10, 10 would be perfect. Actually there's zero, so zero means you don't do it at all. Um, never had one of those, luckily. Um, <laughs> That's good. But you wanna do really well on each movement and then they, add all your points together and subtract it from a coefficient. Um, and then you get your base score. And then from there, you want to not accumulate any other penalty points throughout the rest of the competition. So it's a little bit like golf in that the lower your score, the, the better. better you're there with your, against your competition. Um, but it's challenging. It's, you know, the stars all have to align to win one of these shows. <laughs> so I, I would, I would imagine there's just a lot of training that goes into, you know, working the horse to, to be able to get them to do that and everything. I mean, like how, I mean, how, I mean, that must take a lot of time out of your time. I would think. It's about five, six days a week of riding every day. You know, I ride, every, you know, wow. 45 minutes. Um, wow. I wow. spend a lot of time 
taking lessons and um, you know, it's something that someone just said to me the other day, haven't you been riding your whole life and why do you still need lessons? And I said, well, because today my horse woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he had an attitude and I have to learn how to deal with that. Or today yeah. he, was a, he was afraid of something in the corner of the arena that he wasn't afraid of yesterday. And I have to learn how to ride through that. It's a lot different when you're dealing with a partner that you don't speak the same language. Um, sure, sure. They have a mind of their own. They have fears and, um, you know, moods and they. Yeah, like everything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about learning them. So um, it's a lot of time. It's a big commitment. And um, but it's something that it's always the nice thing about it is, yes, you're always competing against other people when you go to the shows. But it's also very easy to stay, keep it in the mind frame of competing against yourself and just wanting to improve upon your score from the last time. Yeah, uh, I, I would imagine it's a community, too, because you're there with a bunch of other like minded people who who love doing the same thing that you're doing, you know, even, even whether it's a competition or not. Um, uh, years ago, I, I used to do bodybuilding competitions and I, I basically was of the same mind. Like I'm, I'm only competing with myself, you know, how everyone else does or whether I go home with a trophy or not, it doesn't matter. It's how did I do this year compared to the year before, you know, that's all that really mattered. And then everything after that, you're just there with a bunch of people who are under the same thing as you, you know, and it's a fun time. So, I mean, I can, I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and so, man, so you're riding at least 45 minutes a day. So you guys have three horses. Um, is there one that you, is there one that's like your horse or do you guys just all collectively just have, you know, like the horses and you equally, you know, use them? Yep. So I, we pretty much consider them, they belong to me and my mom. So yeah. um, the, the two of the three horses that we have now, one is actually the baby of our first horse who I who we bought when I was 12 and has since passed away yeah. um, but so it's her baby and he's 18 now so wow he's retired he doesn't really he just eats grass and lives a happy life as a horse what's the what's um, average lifespan for for a horse I have no idea probably about mid-20s um yeah. so he's getting up there um but I've definitely seen horses live into their 30s or 40s um, oh wow so he's retired. He just hangs out and he's, he's a lawn ornament, um, but he lives a great life. Yeah. Um, so his name is Finn. He's 18. And then our second horse is Jammy. Um, and he is 11. He was my most recent competition horse who was diagnosed with a chronic, um, chronic lameness last summer. So he oh. also is rendered unusable at this point. He can't be ridden for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, so he'll, he's also a lawn, a lawn ornament. He's beautiful. He's black and white spotted. So he's wonderful to look at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they both live at my parents. My parents have a small farm in Manhattan. And then we recently purchased our new guy, um, whose name is Miller and he is seven years old. So young and old enough that he's not scary, um, for me to ride, but young enough that there's still some work for me to do training wise, um so that's the one that's kind of my main guy now um we just bought him in december so and i know you said that you're taking lessons to learn how to deal with some of that stuff but like you know when you have a horse that is like that you know i know that uh, i don't know they use the term breaking in you know or breaking a horse or, or whatever um 
I mean, is that essentially what you have to do is you got to like, is it, is it teaching the horse to respect you? Is it, or is it, is it creating a mutual bond between you that you can communicate and learn how to work with the horse and it's, mood, whatever it may be that day? Sure. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's about creating a partnership and learning how, you know, every horse is a little bit different. So, um, you know, like my Finn horse was very spooky and it was very difficult to ride him in a show because he would be scared of something different every time. And it was yeah. very, very unpredictable. Yeah. And so to be able to, you know, we, I could practice until the cows came home with him and still go to a show and be, he'll find something caught, new. Yeah. Completely, completely <laughs> caught off guard. So part of it is establishing a partnership with them and knowing, you know, their ins and outs and their, their tendencies and their bad habits and, you know, their fears and insecurities. Um, and then part of it too, is, you know, making sure that we function well together as a team that, you know, he's listening to my cues very, you know, and that I'm giving him the cues the right way. Um, every horse likes things a little bit different um, and likes to be, you know, some horses like to be piloted a little bit more, whereas others, you might be able to not be so aggressive, you know, as a rider. So right. it's all about learning them um, and figuring out how to best work with them. So it's kind of a mix of, of all of that. Very how cool. many competitions do you typically do in a, a summer or a year? Um, so I would say in a summer, um, probably about six, six in a summer, six or seven, um, you know, they're weekends. So, um, kind of depends on, you know, how everything, how everything else lines up in life. Um, can't miss too many family parties or kids' birthdays and all that <laughs> good stuff. Um, so, but probably about six or seven. And then in the winters, um, sometimes we will send him south. Um, mm -hmm. Our trainer, our trainer is based in Barrington, um, but she winters. Um, this this season, she wintered in Ocala, Florida. In the past, she's wintered in Aiken, South Carolina. So sometimes we'll send him there with her so that he can stay moving in you know the milder right. weather. Because we yeah. lose a good, we lose a good chunk of time up here, you know. I was actually I was actually going to ask about that because I was going to say, I mean, in, in Chicago, I mean, yeah, you got a nice long stretch of weather that's just probably too cold for the horses to be out doing anything, you know. I mean, so yeah. you know, you can have weeks where I mean, like you know, we're not leaving the house, so <laughs> it's like, right? right. Uh, so yeah, so you, you send them south for the winter. Yeah, well, and we have indoor arenas and, and whatnot, but, you know, a lot of them in most boarding barns aren't heated. Um, so it, it's cutting out the wind, but the, the it's wind still becomes, cold. Yeah. It's still cold. Um, so pretty much my rule is if it's below 20, um, you know, I'm not riding it because if it's below 20 degrees, I'm miserable. They're yeah, you don't want to be out there either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> so, so sending them south definitely keeps them moving. And then I'm able to go down there for chunks of time and ride and in the sun and in the warmth. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my, my hobby with that. It's a wild ride. My mom, you know, loves doing it. And, um, she's been my biggest cheerleader throughout it. And, I think she kind of lives a little vicariously through me because she is not, you know, she doesn't like, she's had a, she's actually had more accidents riding than I have. So right. You know, understandably. So she will not ever ride again, which a little is wary fine. of it now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. 
she's broken more bones doing it than I have. So um, <laughs> I'm the one who runs a 1200 pound animal at solid obstacles. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, I have to ask you, the Illini. Oh. What happened? <laughs> Look, hey, I went to DePaul, so at least you're at least you guys know what winning is. But... I love the roll of the eyes and just the uh, exas the exasperated look. <laughs> break my heart every way to Sunday. Um yeah, so I think we had a bunch of young players this year that never maybe really got a full chance to kind of vibe together and gel together and we looked great at the beginning of the season and then we had some injuries and some concussion protocols and i think that hurt us for a few games um and i think you know unfortunately we they just never they they never learned how not to panic um and that was the hardest thing to watch because you'd watch the game get away from a, a little bit and it still seemed doable but it was like their heads were spinning and they just couldn't, you know, get back on the same page. So yeah. it's frustrating as a fan to watch. I'll never, I'll never not be a fan. Um, I was at U of I when they made their title run in 2005, um, was a fan before then, but that season just was magical and cemented it for me that I would be an Illini basketball fan for life. Um, I love Brad, Brad Underwood. I think he's a great coach. I think he recruits really well. Um, I just oh. think this season we just couldn't get our acts together. It was very yeah. frustrating. <laughs> but there's well, hope for the future. Like next season, things look good. There's always next season. Well, I, I can I can tell you as a, as a Cubs fan, uh, you have to have that mentality of uh, there's always next season, and uh, you know you'll love them. I'll love them regardless. I'll always be a Cub fan. They can lose every game from here until eternity. And I'll yeah. still want to go to Wrigley and I'll still wear the red, white, and blue. So yeah. I, I yeah. hear you. But I think we're uh, talking about Sox fan here, I think, right? Um, I mean, I grew up Evergreen Park, so I definitely grew up Southside um, Sox fan. I don't think I'd ever, I never even set foot in Wrigley until I was in grad school and Illinois played Northwestern in football at oh, Wrigley. Yeah. And that was my first time in Wrigley. And so that just shows you, I spent a lot of time at yeah. Comiskey. It's Comiskey. I don't care. Always. Uh, it but is always. Comiskey. Yes. Thank you. Yes. It is not U.S. Cellular or whatever the heck they're guaranteed calling it right rate. now. Yeah. yeah. Guaranteed rate field. Oh God. I just cannot stand the corporate names of fields at this point yeah. it's just i can't yeah comiskey was comiskey was fine i was perfectly yeah. good with that so yeah i grew up on this i grew up just east of you in like uh the south chicago area like underneath the skyway long, <laughs> long time white Sox fan it will be it's always comiskey park you're yeah. absolutely right yeah. yeah but to your point to your question is there hope for next season yes um i know we lost terrence terrence shannon junior who came into he was just a transfer this year and he's a senior so he's gone um but dane danger just said he's coming back which is huge he was a one he was a pretty significant contributor for us at, as a center um so and we've got a lot of young players and i i imagine underwood will be hitting the transfer portal pretty hard um to get us some new blood as well so I'm, I mean, I, I have faith and he just renewed his contract, I think a year ago. So we've got him for a few more years. So I think as these players kind of grow up a little 
bit together. And I think they were all equally disappointed by this season. So my hope is that kind of lights a fire under them for next season. So I think I, you know, I have a, a friend who is a devout Marquette fan and, you know, the big 10 is so overrated, you know, it's such a, you know, it's such an <laughs> overrated conference. Although with our tournament, you know, performance this year, I can't say I disagree with him because we definitely choked real early as a, as a conference. Um, <laughs> but so I would love to see someone from the big 10 do well. <laughs> so hopefully it'll be the, the Illini, but I don't know. I'm losing a little bit of faith, but I'll have it back by next season. <laughs> yeah, you got you got time to recover. That's, 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 that's why they that's why they give you the time off so that you, yeah. you'll yeah. get you'll get over it and forget about it and come back yeah. fresh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, all right, Lauren, we've taken enough of your time, but thank you so much for coming on the show and being with us and and talking to us about your journalism and and your your equestrian uh, endeavors and everything. It's been real nice sure. getting to know you and get to talk to you and everything. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. And thanks for your work down there. I know, like I said, my family and friends that live down there still, uh, they are faithful patch readers and they appreciate everything you do. Awesome. Uh, well, tell them I, I say thank you for reading and to let me know if I start uh, slacking and I'll make sure to fix it. <laughs> I, I don't see that as a problem with you, but yes. I hope not. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Take, yeah, care. Take care. And that was Lauren Trout of The Patch, one of my favorite sites. Uh, as you know, I'm a contributor. I'm nowhere near the status of Lauren, but I do contribute um, some of my pieces on various Patch news sites. But Lauren does a fantastic job there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, unlike you, is not a keyboard commando, as she said. I'm not a keyboard. I'm <laughs> I'm not a keyboard commando. I'm a fluff writer. Well, there's you got some fluff for sure, but no, she's she was great, and um, you know it's it's interesting to see you know, and we've talked about this a million times before on you know with other people, but you know you start off on one path, you know, towards something. You know, she wanted to do journalism. She was working at that paper. She's more or less running the paper. This is before social media and all that stuff. And then suddenly that all changes. And now she finds herself in this position and she's doing something for 13 years, you know, that she loves. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, probably wasn't what she had envisioned originally, but found her place, found her people. And, uh, and, you know, that's very cool. And again, you know, you were making the point that she's a legitimate journalist in a world where everybody claims to be, you know, a journalist or something of that sort, just because they've got an Instagram page or something like that. Like she's actually out there. And like I said, uh, with her being, you know, part of the community, it, I really think it validates her, uh, her reporting because you know that, you know, she's one of the people, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I stressed it. I think I stressed it enough, but you know, the thing that really I admire about her is is she, if you follow her online, if you read her stuff in the patch, she has such passion for the area. She has such passion for news. Um, you can see her, you know, her, she wears her heart on her sleeve sometimes in, in, in the best of ways. You know, she, you know, she just cares about everything that she does. And it, it's, it's refreshing. And I'm not condemning other journalists or all journalists, but when you get somebody like, like Lauren, who stands out in that field, it, it just it's it's really impressive in any endeavor when you see somebody who you who it's just 
plain as day that they really care about what they're doing, you really are that much more invested in seeing and being a part of what they're doing in whatever way you can right. consume that. So, um, yeah, so I agree a hundred percent. And then, uh, you know, as far I, the equestrian thing, I think is very cool. Um, I, uh, like I was telling you before the show, I, <laughs> I know it's kind of a loose way in there, but I've been watching, you know, I watched Yellowstone and it's within the course of the show, they, they kind of, you learn little things about how they, you know, work with horses and how they train them and they show them at rodeos and shows and stuff, which are not the same thing that she's doing, but it's right. the same, same principle in a lot of ways, you know, like the dancing kind of thing with the horse and, and certain footwork and teaching them how to do that and all that. And yeah, like she said, it's a 1200 pound animal that, you know, can toss you and outrun you and, you know, boot you in the face and, I, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to try to have, you know, a symbiotic relationship and control with that animal and to ride, to be riding every day like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's devotion. And that's, again, very, it's passion, you know, she's, well, I say, it, you know, it, it, even obviously she wants to win the competition. She wants to do well in the competitions, but you can tell her passion really is just to be with that horse, whether and the competition is sort of like a backdrop. I'm sure she enjoys the competition, but her passion is are her horses. It's 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 sometimes it's nice just to have you know like a goal with it, and that kind of keeps you on the ball with with right. doing something like that. But um, but yeah, it's 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 always about the journey and never about the the prize or the destination. You know, it's that that is a very fleeting moment, no matter how great it might be in that moment. It's but but everything that leads up to that moment is is the stuff that's the best and is what really matters. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was very fascinating and, and very cool. And I like hearing about like you know, yeah, you got to move the horse around, get it out of the cold air and bring it down south and, you know, make sure it keeps running and moving and everything. And I'd imagine she probably needs to go visit it once in a while to keep the relationship up with it too. So the animal doesn't think it was deserted or whatever. And I mean, and besides, you know, working with the horses, you know, how much um, of your own training do you have to do? Strength training, whether it's legs or back or, or arms or whatever. I'm sure endurance, I'm sure there's a lot of, exercise workouts that she has to do just on her own to maintain that well i think it's also one of those things where you know the simple act of doing it though is is training those muscles too, sure though. you know it's you, you you get the muscles she needs to work to do that she will strengthen by doing it you know but um but it's but that's why i'm like to, to hear that she's riding you know six days a week at an hour a shot or, or whatever it was I mean, that's a workout, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you right. gotta, you gotta hold on to that horse, man, you know, <laughs> I mean, no, you're, you're and you right. don't have to be going that fast to be really, you know, making sure you're, you're on there, you know, so, but if she is, if she's, if she's flying along and jumping over poles and stuff, then, <laughs> and that's another thing, impact and, and on your back and all that stuff. I mean, it's, I don't know. I couldn't do it, man. I've I've ridden I've it's not, I haven't ridden a horse in a long time, but um, I did used to go a little bit with my dad back in the day, and uh, man, I mean, if I, I don't know if, if you ever I mean, ridden a horse, the, the, the carousel in front of the jewel doesn't count. Take it easy. Have you ever ridden a horse before? I have. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not, a, not a, anywhere near that level. No, yes. no, no. I I've written it on like a trail and stuff, but I mean, yeah. when you get on that animal, I mean, it is, you have to respect that that's a lot of animal underneath you. That's yeah. a lot of muscle and that's, oh boy. I mean, that thing, Ooh, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it's wild. It's a lot of power there that, you know, so, uh, but anyway, well, it was great having her on. It was good to uh, learn some new things about all of the, all of the, all of uh, both the, the journalism, the equestrian and, uh, you know, get a little inside uh, thoughts from a, uh, an Illinois fan. So we covered all bases. She's like a Renaissance woman. Yeah, there you go. All right, John. Well, I think we're just gonna cut straight to the quick and I'm going to say for the John G or else podcast, I of course have been who else but Tommy else and with me as always, the man on the beat from John G's Mr. John Robleski. <laughs>